This morning, as we open the Word of God, we want to take a fresh look at Jesus. It is oftentimes difficult to take a fresh look, but we need to. We need to work hard at seeing the scriptures for the first time in some regards. Remember a number of years ago, there was an individual who came to the church and uh, didn't agree with my understanding of a certain doctrine. And that person was intent on setting me straight. That's the word they use. Pastor, I'm going to set you straight. All right. And uh, so they wanted to meet with me. And I remember them saying to me, now, Pastor, you've got to promise me that when we sit down, you're going to have an, an opened mind. And I said, brother, I will be open-minded, but not empty-headed. There's a difference. We need to be open-minded. We need to be ready to hear, to be instructed, to be teachable, but always with a background. We come with certain understandings. And that background is very important to us. We build on what we know from other portions of Scripture. This individual wanted to set a ground rule that when we talked, we looked at this one verse, and we wouldn't discuss anything else in the Bible but this one single verse. And right there is a difficulty. You can't take a verse out of context and make it say anything you want and then not deal with the entirety of the Word of God. Well, what I'm saying to you this morning is that the disciples failed to learn from previous experiences that they had with Jesus. They were not only open-minded, but they were empty-headed. They didn't think about all of the things that had transpired before. They needed to learn and to grow in their faith, as do we. So this morning is a lesson concerning having faith in Jesus. A lesson concerning having faith in Jesus. Now these disciples had faith in Jesus, even as I trust we all do, who have gathered here this morning. But that doesn't mean that we can't grow in our faith. So we want to learn some lessons from the apostles in this particular passage. Lessons concerning having faith in Jesus. The first point I want to make is the occasion for faith. The occasion for faith. A difficulty at sea. The disciples had gotten into a boat with Jesus, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now they were traveling on the sea from one side of the lake to the other. A parallel passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. So there was no question about the intent of Jesus. The reason he got into a boat was to go to the other side. Why do people get into boats? To go to the other side. As Jesus and the disciples were crossing the sea, they encountered a fierce storm, verse 24. 
And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea. And the waves were swamping the boat with water to the point that the boat was sinking. Verse 24. So that the boat was covered with the waves. The disciples were apparently on their own. For it tells us at the end of verse 24, but he, that is Jesus himself, was asleep. So you get a picture of what's happening here. Jesus is asleep in a boat. Storm arises. And waves start coming over the side of the boat. They start bailing feverishly. But they are losing the battle. The boat is sinking. What are they going to do? The situation provided an occasion for, for faith. They were in a situation that was radically coming out of their control. What would they do? We too encounter occasions for faith. They are not always storms at sea, but they are situations in which we find ourselves, in which we are inundated, overwhelmed, if you will, by trials, difficulties, emotional pressures, all kinds of concerns that flood our hearts and minds. Anything from financial problems to family Issues, husbands and wife, parents and children, problems at work, health issues. All of these situations are occasions for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to exercise faith in him. I'd like you to just take a moment and ask yourself, what particular situation am I in right now in which I need to exercise faith. What is perturbing me? What is upsetting me? What is it that I don't think I can handle? What am I afraid of that's going to come into my life? What is it that is unnerving me this morning? That is your and my occasion for faith. The second thing we want to look at is the obstacles to faith. What was it about the situation that they were in that caused them to doubt and fear? Why were they afraid? Well, the situation they were in was a dire one. Verse 25. They came to him and they woke him saying, Save us, Lord, We are perishing. The first thing I'd ask you is, was that an exaggeration or not? Were things as bad as they thought they were? I submit to you they were not overreacting. They were not exaggerating. They were not making a mountain out of a molehill. The storm was a bad one. The winds were blowing. 
The waves were crushing in on the boat. The waves were overwhelming the boat. And the boat was sinking. Their appraisal of the situation was real. Many times, the difficulties that we are facing are real. Sometimes people are hypochondriacs, but other times the illnesses are very real. Sometimes we can worry when we have large amounts of money in the bank. And there are other times in which a person may be facing a foreclosure. Not all troubles are myths. Some are very real. And you may be finding yourself in a very real predicament this morning. I don't want to make light of it. A very real trial. A very real hardship. These individuals, some of them were fishermen. They knew what to do. They'd been on this sea before. They were not novices about a boat. These were mature, professional fishermen who were at wit's end and scared because they knew that this boat was about to sink. It was a very real and present danger. So one can just imagine what took place. Slowly, the winds began to pick up. The skies would have begun to darken. They would have been in the boat and looking around and saying to one another, doesn't look good. I think a storm's coming. Could be a bad one. Winds start blowing harder. Waves start getting more choppy. Getting larger and larger. You know, it looks like these are going to start crashing over the boat. What are we going to do? Well, they know what to do. They need, they need to bail. They need to row. They need to angle their boat into the, into the waters. They knew what to do. And believe me, they would have done it all. And they are feverishly working to no avail. And now they're losing it. And not only are they losing it, but they have come to the conclusion that it's lost. The boat is going to sink. they would have readied themselves for the worst, and the worst 
happened. We can be in similar situations that can be quite dire. We may be holding our head high. Maybe it's a physical problem. We see a doctor. We say to ourselves, well, I don't feel good. I've got some problems, but it'll probably be okay. We go see a doctor, and they say, well, you need to have some tests. All right, we'll pray about it. We'll have the tests. And then the tests come back, and they're they're positive. There's a problem here. You say, well, we can handle that. We'll take the medication. We'll change our diet. We'll do what we need to do. And you get sicker and sicker. Or you have marital problems. And you say, well, we'll go to counseling. We'll see somebody. We'll work it out. Things don't get any better. Financial problems. You say, well, you know, we'll, we'll try to get a second job. We'll, we'll cut back. We'll change our budget. And you find yourself getting farther and farther and farther and farther behind. To the place where things become quite dire. Life can get pretty difficult. It is the severity of the problems that necessitate that we place our faith in the Lord. We are in a passage that is talking about how to respond in life situations that are just beyond our control. Now, I say that with full knowledge that everything is beyond our control. (laughs) It is a matter of self-delusionment to think that we're in control of anything. It is by God's grace that we are even able to eat and breathe. But there is a perception of being in control. There is the idea that I'm in control. And then there are those moments when we are met with the realization, not this time, it's out of control. We have done everything we can, and we are drowning. That is an occasion for faith. And it's also a great obstacle to faith. The first obstacle is the storm. The second obstacle is that they're being out of control. And the third obstacle was Jesus being asleep in the boat, verse 24. But he himself was asleep. 
What are we to understand by that? Jesus is asleep in a boat. Question number one. Was Jesus unconcerned about the disciples' welfare? Was he indifferent to their plight? Was he insensitive to what they were experiencing? Was he oblivious to everything that was taking place? Didn't he care that they were about to drown? The disciples felt as though he didn't care. In a parallel passage, Mark 4, 8, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? Brothers and sisters, I say to you that that is the primary obstacle to faith. When we come to the conclusion that God doesn't care. That he's indifferent to our situation. Oblivious to it. Asleep at the switch. Paying no attention. I can't convey anything more important to you this morning. If you are going through a hardship or difficulty in your life, then to make it absolutely clear to you that God is concerned and he cares for you. The scripture says, cast your care upon him for for he cares for you. Was Jesus unaware of the danger? Did he not know of the approaching storm? Now, we can answer that question in two different ways. An unfortunate dichotomy, if you will, one that is not particularly helpful or useful. But what we often do And that is to answer the question theologically and to answer the question practically. And there's no such thing as an impractical theological question if the theological question is of a value. But theologically, would Jesus have known about this coming storm? When he got into that boat, was he aware of what was going to take place? I submit to you he did. Practically speaking, as a human being who's also the Son of God, what happened? When did Jesus fall asleep? Did Jesus get into the boat? Been a long day? Hard day, been administering from sunrise to sunset. He's exhausted, 
Did he get into a boat on a nice, beautiful day like today, fall asleep, and then a storm comes? Or, was Jesus in a boat? They're looking around. It's getting a little darker. Wind's getting to pick up, and Jesus is feeling a little tired, and decides to lay down while they're all talking about the coming storm, and falls asleep. Which is it? I don't know. Can't say for sure. But I do know this. And that is that people of faith can sleep even in dangerous times. Psalm 127. A song of a sense of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early, stay up late, toiling for food to eat, but he grants sleep to those that he loves. Certainly Jesus was not worried about this storm. That is true. Listen to another psalm. I find it to be fascinating. It's a psalm of David. Psalm 3. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. That's the occasion. Absalom has rebelled. David is fleeing from Jerusalem for his life. As he flees... He writes this psalm out of that experience. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for God, for him and God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. And I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. Thou hast shattered the teeth of the wicked. David knew a very real struggle. Absalom had gathered together an army to pursue David. He said, how have my enemies increased? Thousands have risen against me. Not hyperbole. Not exaggeration. Not a paranoid individual a realist. The people are with Absalom. But he laid down and slept. Why? Because God was with him. Because God would protect him. 
That is the key. God was with him. I have an aunt. She uh, is deathly afraid of flying. She hates to fly. She lives in Seattle. She has come east a couple of times on the train. But coming from Seattle to Pennsylvania, a lot of times she needs to fly. But in order to do so, she has to be heavily medicated. She takes a whole lot of stuff to be able to get on board a, board a trip, get on board a plane. And one of the times that she flew east, I said to her, I said, Millie, how was, how was the plane flight? And she said, oh, it was so wonderful. Coming for her, that was just, it was so wonderful. Wow. She said, I had such peace. Wow. I said, what happened? She said, I, I, I boarded the plane, and I was sitting there, and I was taking my medicine, and you'll never guess who walked on board the plane. Billy Graham. Billy Graham sat four seats ahead of my aunt, and she said, I knew God wouldn't let this plane go down. <laughs> God had something in store for Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham was with her, she was at peace. We have something better than Billy Graham. God is with us. Jesus was asleep in the boat. Let's look at the occurrence of faith. They came to Jesus, verse 25, and they came to him. They woke Jesus. I believe in deference they were letting Jesus sleep. They were going to take care of this themselves. No need to trouble Jesus. They, wanted, they waited to the last moment to awaken him. I don't find fault in this. A lot of commentators say, well, this was their last resort. They waited to the end to... Wake Jesus. I don't, I don't see it that way. I think that they were letting him sleep and they were trying to go about their, their work. And, but now it was obvious they had to wake Jesus. I don't see any fault there. Third, they call upon Jesus to deliver them. Verse 25. They came to him and awoke him saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now that's important. Because they are exercising faith. They don't awaken Jesus and say, Jesus, get ready, we're all dying. Jesus, make your peace with God, we're drowning. That's not their reaction. Their reaction was, Jesus... Deliver us, for we are perishing. They said, save us. But their cry was not so much a cry of faith as it was a cry of desperation. 
They were at wit's end. One wonders what they expected Jesus to do. Deliver us! How? They certainly didn't expect it the way that it happens. That becomes very clear at the end of the text. What did they expect Jesus to do? I don't know what they expected to do, but they were crying out to Jesus. That's when we need to exercise faith. When we don't know what or how, Jesus could do something. In fact, I think that it's many times an obstacle to faith that we think we know what Jesus ought to do and tell him what to do. Better, better when we are clueless. Better when we don't see a way out. Better when we can just say, God, I don't know what to do. Help me. That's a great cry of faith. In a key moment, we need to come to Jesus. We need to come to him even at a time of seeming indifference to our plight. To simply ask Jesus to work without instruction. But we see no way out of an insurmountable task. They cried out to Jesus to deliver them, and so should we. Fourthly, let's look at the outcome of their faith. The outcome of their faith. First, they are questioned as to the reason for their lack of faith. Verse 26. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? I like the translation better. Why are you fearful? Timid seems like, ah, but they're they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Earlier, Jesus had marveled at the faith of the centurion. It's been a few weeks, but remember back in Matthew chapter 8, verse 7. A centurion sends word to Jesus that his servant is ill. Matthew 8, 7, And he, that is Jesus, said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man of authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. There he commends the the man, the centurion, for his great faith. Here he rebukes his disciples for their little faith. So I begin by asking, what was great about that man's faith? Answer, he knew so little about Jesus. He did not have the experiences that the disciples had with Jesus. But he had heard about Jesus. And he knew about people of authority. For he himself was a person of authority. And he said, all I have to do is speak and it's done. And then he transferred what he knew about authority to Jesus. And he said, Jesus is a man of authority. 
He said, Jesus, all you have to do is speak, and it's done. You don't need to come to my house. Just say, be healed, and it'll be healed. And Jesus marvels at this man's understanding, at this man's awareness, how he gets it with such little instruction. Jesus has authority. If Jesus exercises his authority, there's nothing to worry about. Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith in Israel. People who are instructed. Now he refers to the disciples as having little faith. Verse 26. He said to them, why are you timid, O men of little faith? It's not the only occasion in which Jesus refers to them as having little faith. But don't get confused. Jesus does not question the genuineness of their faith. Their faith was small, but their faith was real. They were followers of Jesus. They did believe in him. But they had little faith. Why does he say they had little faith? Verse 26. Why are you timid, O men of little faith? The way in which the faith was being exercised was little because they were fearful. If they had a lot of faith, they wouldn't have been afraid. But they were afraid. Because they had little faith. So, in what sense is their faith little? Was it little because it did not take much to defeat their faith? Was their faith little because the reason to fear was small? Answer, The danger was real. They weren't blowing things out of proportion. They weren't saying they were dying when everything was hunky-dory. No, that's not what is meant by little faith. What is meant by little faith? Is it that their faith was not getting them very far? That their faith was not operative? that their faith was not moving them in the right direction? And again, the answer is no. Because their faith led them to the right solution. They come to Jesus. And they ask for his deliverance. So that is not what is meant by little faith. So in what sense was their faith little? I believe the answer to that is their faith was little in that it did not give enough credit to Jesus. I think that's it. They didn't give enough credit to Jesus. They had woken Jesus and said, don't you care that we fail? Don't you care that we are dying? 
They didn't give enough credit to Jesus. The centurion gave credit to Jesus. They did not. He knew that Jesus was a man of authority. They knew that he was a man of authority. The disciples had witnessed much. They had seen him heal. They had seen him cast out demons. They had seen him do many wonderful works. But they failed to apply what they knew to this particular situation. I find it interesting that Jesus rebukes his disciples before he rebukes the sea. Matthew 8, 26, he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and became perfectly calm. Jesus comes to the disciples' rescue. He rebuked the winds and the sea and became perfectly calm. Let me point out to you, Jesus did not have to call upon anyone else for assistance. Jesus does not call upon his heavenly Father. Notice verse 26. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. Jesus didn't say, Oh my Father, come these winds and this sea. Jesus stands up in his own authority and simply says, Be calm. Be still, and it happens. And the result is that the disciples are amazed by Jesus' authority. Notice verse 27. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What kind of man is this? What kind of human being is this? What person can say to the winds and to the seas, be still? And they're still. Psalm 107, verse 23. Listen to these words. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distresses. He caused the storm to be still, so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired heaven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and his wonders to the sons of men. They marveled, for who can do what Jesus did but God alone? This is what God does. And they marveled. What kind of man is this? He's the God man. 
That's who he is. He's the God man. Can you understand why their faith was little? He's the God man. And they're still coming to grips with he's the God man. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm rapidly running out of time. So I say to you this morning, in whatever plight you are in, and you are tempting to fear, remind yourself that Jesus is the God-man. Meditate on that. Reflect on that. Proudly take upon you the cloak of people of little faith. Because we don't ascribe to Jesus the authority and power that he has. Every time we're afraid, every time we doubt, in some way we make Jesus smaller than he is. Maybe we question his love. Maybe we we question his care. Maybe we question his knowledge. Maybe we question his power. But every time that we think that life is beyond his control, our faith is little. We don't really understand who Jesus is. This is a passage in which the question is unanswered. We just move on. They just say to themselves, who is this Jesus? That is a question that we constantly should be asking ourselves. Who is this Jesus? that we might grow in faith. And the book of Matthew takes us through experience after experience after experience in which the disciples are learning who Jesus is. In the book of Mark, Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but who say you that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Eventually Peter gets it. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, People, life's a journey. And if we were asked the theological question this morning, who is Jesus? I think we'd all get an A by saying he's the son of God. 
But now I ask you not the theological question, I ask you the practical question. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. Do we need to be afraid? He's the Son of God. He can do that which only God can do. Does Jesus care? One last thought. I was just overwhelmed this week with the idea that the winds and the seas obey him. He just speaks, and they are still. And yet, he speaks through his word. And I disobey him. How is that possible? And I mean that in the truest sense of that word. How is that possible? How is it that I am able to disobey when the winds and the seas listen to him? What a gracious and merciful Savior we have. He could strike us dead. He could stamp out our life. He could say, oh, wicked! Calvin, this is the last time. Why don't you hear me? He's a gracious and loving Savior. He is almighty. And he's full of compassion and grace. This is who Jesus is. Why then do we fear? Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith, why are you afraid? Let's pray. O Lord, give us an ever-increasing faith in Jesus. Help us to see Jesus for who he really is. O Lord, help us to move beyond the trite theological understanding that Jesus is the Son of God into the incredible, majestic, insurmountable, incomprehensible thought that Jesus is the Son of God. Increase our weak faith. Help us in our times of storm. Oh Lord, help us to realize who is with us in our boat. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.